Good morning, everyone. My name's Pastor Dave. I'm thankful to be with you. Grab a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Today we're going to be mentored by a question that Jesus asks his disciples. Faith Church, what do you want Jesus to do for you? The disciples were on the road. They're going to Jerusalem. And they should know what's about to happen, but they haven't figured it out yet. They haven't really been listening well. So Jesus is walking with them, gentle as ever. Verse 32, just a few verses before where we're going to start. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. Why are they amazed? Because Jesus is walking straight to the heart of opposition. He's walking into conflict. The Pharisees and the religious leaders have already determined to seek Jesus' demise because Jesus doesn't play by their games. Jesus is the son of man. He's the king. And so the disciples were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him saying, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will rise. It becomes increasingly apparent to the disciples that following Jesus is not safe. And Jesus is still going. And at that moment, the disciples, just like us today, in a world that's not safe, they start to resort to the strategies that we learn in this world to try to manage things so that it can be as safe as possible, to try to secure the best earthly outcome they can get. It's kind of like during high school graduation season. So you've got two different kinds of, uh, of students, perhaps, that are coming from two very different places. There's some kiddos who are coming from a certain background who have maybe succeeded and they've been on kind of that high track through high school, taking all of the AP courses and so forth. And they're trying to glad hand their way into the best scholarships and the best programs they can get. And so they've learned this skill of glad handing. They know how to shake a hand, the right hand, at the right time to get in a room and to get an internship, to get volunteer hours at the right place at the right time so that they can get where they want to be and secure the best outcome for themselves. And parents, we encourage them to do that because we want them to have the best outcome for themselves too, right? We encourage that skill set. We help them to foster it. But that skill set, as important and helpful as it is in life, it can also turn to something that's not godly. We can glad hand so that we can climb on the backs of people We can go around people. We can be duplicitous in the workplace. Sometimes this can even sneak into the church, into the people of God. It was that way from the beginning, as we're about to see James and John. It's like they're listening to Jesus. They hear, son of man. And all of the promise that's bound up in the Son of Man, the promises of this great king that Daniel promised and foresaw in a vision. If you remember in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. And 
He was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And James and John and the disciples, they're on his team. They're full of ambition. They're excited. But now they're saying this son of man is talking about dying. The son of man is going to Jerusalem. His face is set. So they're going to try to secure what good outcome they can. And, and you wonder almost, it's almost like, um, like Charlie Brown when uh, the parents come in and start talking. It's like Jesus said, son of man. And it's like they just go off into their own world and everything else is wah, 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 wah. They, they don't hear the rest of the stuff. Guys, I'm going to die. I'm going to be delivered up. I'm going to suffer and be mocked. Come and follow me. But James and John, verse 35, the sons of Zebedee, they came up to him. They say to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, do you hear it? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Let's think about that question and let's go to the Lord in prayer before we continue in this passage together. Lord, we come to you with desires, some good, some, if we're honest, they've been shaped by this world, by our ambitions that have gotten a little out of line with your kingdom. So come meet us there. Lord, some of us come to you in brokenness and we just want basic things. We want mercy. We need your help. So come and meet us there. Holy Spirit, in our doubts and our hurts and our questions and our longings. Do your work in us by your grace and for your glory. Amen. So James and John, they asked this question. Do whatever we ask of you. Jesus gently, he responds, what do you want me to do for you? And they ask this. They ask for status. So I ask you today, Faith Church, do you want status, earthly status and honor to be seen. Sometimes that happens to any of us, doesn't it? Well, that's what James and John asked for. They were honest with Jesus about their desire. And Jesus says to them, guys, you don't know what you're asking for, verse 38. You're, are you able to drink the cup that I drink, to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they say to him, you know, you could imagine they're like looking at each other nervously. This is one of those gotcha questions, isn't it, guys? But um, yes, Jesus, we are able to do that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And Jesus, for the thousandth time, probably face palms, and then says to them, you know, the cup that I drink, you will drink. The bapti baptism that I'm baptized with, you will be baptized with. And they may be thinking to themselves, score, you know? But they don't know that Jesus is talking about his death. The cup of suffering the Father gave him to drink on behalf of his people that they could be redeemed. And they, too, would suffer so that the gospel could be continued and proclaimed among the nations. They don't quite get that yet. But Jesus says, verse 40, but to sit at my right hand... Or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it's been 
prepared. Jesus, this is that wonderful mystery of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the Son of God, would yield to the Father's will and he would make his own food to do what the Father's will was and to accomplish what he was sent to do. Jesus is not going to hand out status that his Father hasn't previously prepared. And so verse 41, when the 10 hear that the two, James and John, outmaneuvered them, glad-handed around them, and they get this audience with Jesus to ask for this special thing, to be seen with him in his glory, to have that status, that honor. They're a little upset. They didn't think of it first. They're also upset because, they, you know, what about this cup and this baptism? We want that too. What about us? So they're indignant. Do you see that there? Verse 41, when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Now, this is ironic. This is ironic, guys. Intentionally, Mark, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is recalling earlier where Jesus was indignant. What made Jesus indignant? Jesus was indignant earlier in chapter 10 when the disciples kept the children from coming to Jesus. And Jesus says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. That's what makes Jesus feisty, is when you keep people back that he loves from experiencing his love. But the disciples are feisty when they lose status and position. I don't know about you, but that hits me. Has that been you? So, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Here's where Jesus begins with his disciples, verse 42. They're upset with each other. They're, they're indignant. They're divided. And in that moment, Jesus does something beautiful. Verse 42, Jesus called them to himself. Jesus called them to himself. NIV renders it, he called them together, which is true, but the word quite literally means he called them to himself. And that's where they're together. So he calls them to himself. And there in his presence, just imagine his eyes looking at you. You're James, you're John, you just asked for this thing. And you just got promised this cup and this baptism. <laughs> and you're the other disciples and you're mad at James and John. You're Peter. You know, I thought I was supposed to be the one that was in with you, Jesus. Or you're, you're Thaddeus and Bartholomew. Man, they're always the ones who are inside, you know. Whatever it is. Jesus, eye to eye with you, says, guys, listen. Listen. You know. You know. The Gentiles lord it over those under their authority. They lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so with you. It shall not be so. Peter remembered this. 1 Peter 5.3, later on in Peter's ministry, he's had multiple humbling moments you know about Peter. 
First Peter 5, 3, he recalls this when he talks to the shepherds of the church, the elders. He says, shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not domineering, not lording over, the same word that Jesus uses here, not lording over the flock, but being examples. Being examples. Why, Jesus says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you want greatness, Jesus has shown the path. But it doesn't look like the greatness of this world. It's not an upward mobility path. It's a downward mobility path that goes through the cross. If any among you would be great, let him be your servant. And if any of you would be first, let him be slave of all. So Jesus says, that's the pattern of his discipleship. He's not a life coach for your upward mobility. He's our suffering savior. And even when he talks about his mission and his identity here, he's alluding to that. These two visions, the, the glory of Daniel's vision of the son of man, this king coupled with the incredible humility and the sacrificial love of Isaiah's suffering servant, Isaiah 53, verses 11 and 12. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the, for the transgressions. Jesus Christ is the one who is crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. For many. That's what he did come to give us. He came to pay the debt for our sins. All of us. All of us have gotten out of line in our desires. We've wanted to put a Jesus stamp on whatever our desires are. Have you ever, have you ever done that? Our desires for position, our preferences. And we can lord those preferences over one another in community to the damage of other people. And Jesus says, not so with you, but he's gentle. <laughs> It's, it's not game over with Jesus if you've been there. It's, it wasn't game over for James and John because the Son of Man came to give his life even for you and even for me to pay the debt of our sin so that we could be safe with the Father. We're, we're not gonna be safe on this path with him here, earthly speaking, but we're safe knowing he has loved us and given his life for us. That's what he did come to give. And so, I encourage you, you who call yourself a Jesus follower, let him call you to himself again. Faith's church, let Jesus call you to himself again. All y'all together, let him call you. And there, let him look you in the eyes. And let him tell you who he is. I am the son of man. I'm the king that you need. 
Maybe not the king you want. I'm the king you need. And I came to give my life for you. Follow me on this downward path. It leads to glory. But that glory comes through the path that leads to the cross. Let Jesus draw you to himself. You're here. You're you're at worship. You've been called to worship. Jesus is calling you to himself right now. But don't let it just be a call to sit in a pew. Let it be a call unto Jesus this morning. He's lovely. He's better than the things that we desire in our aspirations and ambitions for upward mobility and status. But secondly, Jesus is also more than a handout. In, in, in the high school graduation season, there's also another kind of student who may not have all of the privileges and opportunities laid out in front of them. They're coming out of homes of poverty, homes of addiction, homes of separation, homes of abuse, and they just want to survive. They want to get away. And they've learned another skill set to survive in a world that's risky, in a world that's not safe. They've learned to get a handout. They know how to ask to get what they need to get through the next five hours. And when Jesus sees a dear human being made in his image, when he sees these asking for mercy, you know what? That's his heart. Because he came to purchase mercy. But it's more than a handout. Not less. That he came to give. If that's you today, if you're just surviving, you're just hanging on. Jesus came for you. And he loves you and he knows. Jesus was so, so ready to show mercy. Whether it was a Canaanite woman whose daughter had a, a demon possession. For some of our neighbors, that may be difficult. We could talk later about the reality of demons and those sorts of spiritual things. But her daughter was demon possessed. She begs Jesus for mercy. Jesus has mercy on her. Another, a father whose son is demon possessed, begs for mercy. Jesus shows mercy. You see, this is just Jesus's heart. In chapter one, verse 41 of Mark, we see Uh, Jesus encountering a leper. And he says, Jesus, if you would, you can make me clean. And what is Jesus like? What is the son of man, the eternal king like? Does he have time for that? He says, it says in the text that he was moved in compassion and said, I will be clean. Again and again, we see his mercy. This is who he is. He's gentle and lowly. He's calling you home to give you rest. And so what is it like when Jesus meets a man who's not impressive, who's not status rich? Is he going to care about him? Well, let's see. Verse 46, they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with the disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. This man is not going to be the greatest donor to Jesus' cause. If the disciples are envisioning a military conquest, the last person they want to call over on their team is the blind beggar. And when 
Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, verse 47, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, he's looking to him as the king, the promised king, the Messiah. Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Probably some of the disciples rebuked him. Be silent. But he kept on crying out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And what does it say in verse 49? What did Jesus do? And Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. The son of man, who has a mission from the father to bring about redemption for humankind, to begin the restoration of all things. He has time to stop and have mercy on a blind beggar because that's his heart and that's who he is. And he's gentle with his disciples. <laughs> his disciples who think, you know, this guy is not an efficient use of our time. We really need to stay on mission. We're going toward this glorious ending of this great campaign. And Jesus just gently gives them a second chance. He tells his disciples, note that, tells his disciples, call him. In his name, go to the people that you were just a jerk to. Go to that one and call him. Try again. And so what do they do? This is a beautiful moment. We see them taking that second try, that second step, and they get it right in Christ. They say the words that Jesus has said seven times. You'll hear this in the Gospels. Take heart. Six of those are on the lips of Jesus. They've learned it from him. Take heart. Be of good courage. Don't be afraid. Jesus is calling you. Get up. Come on. Jesus is calling you. They get to extend that invitation of Jesus. And what happens? So Bartimaeus, he's just up. He just abandons social convention. He doesn't care what y'all think. Throws off his outer garment, runs to Jesus. He's probably got someone helping guide him there. So in his eagerness, he's, he's walking blind. But he sees something those disciples have missed. Because Jesus is valuable not just for what he can give you. Again, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Jesus asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. In the original language, it's, it's shorter, just a few words that I should see again. Oh, Jesus, Jesus is ready to have mercy on him. But watch what happens. Does Bartimaeus take the hand out and go? He got what he wanted. Now he can go home and get on with his life. Jesus said to him, go your way and watch to see what your way is there in verse 52. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. And what? He followed him on the way. Bartimaeus' way was now Jesus' way. He had encountered the son of man. 
who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And he encountered him with the true vision of faith to know the beauty that was before him. And the first thing that he laid his eyes on was his savior. And he bet he was gonna follow him. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Maybe you want status. Maybe you just want help and mercy. You want a handout. But Jesus came for so much more, for something so much better, to make you his own, to call you to himself, to give you more than just a handout, to give you the mercy that you need, the compassion, dignity, and purpose. There's a man named Jason who I used to get to worship with every Sunday. He uh, would sit in the front, in front of the, uh, the front pew right where the pastor was preaching. Pastor Zach was his name. And uh, Jason is a man with cerebral palsy. Um, Jason uh, is just a, a, a delightful man, though, to worship with. In the middle of the sermons, uh, he would often interrupt Pastor Zach with groanings or with sounds, and you wouldn't always know what he was saying, and Pastor Zach would stop, and he would look at Jason, and he'd say, yes, Jason? And then Jason would say something like, hallelujah, praise Jesus, I love Jesus. And his hallelujah, and his I love Jesus ministered so strongly to me and to that church. And it's what we needed. Jason will probably never get married. He'll probably never be a ministry leader. He'll never be the biggest donor in the church. But Jason, Jason is why Jesus came, just as much as you. And Jason has purpose and dignity in the people of God. not by the metrics and the measures of upward mobility, but by the eternal values of love in God's kingdom because God has claimed him as his own. Brothers and sisters, you have earnest, big gospel vision. You want to know and show the enduring truth and love of Jesus Christ by being a disciple-making family for Loveland in the world. You have this big, awesome vision. I'm so excited about it, but as you pursue that big vision, don't forget on the way to stop and to receive again the mercy that you need and to stop and to show it. First of all, receive it. Know that mercy. So if you're a longtime Christian, you've been here a long time, something that happens is sometimes we, we get focused on other things besides the beauty, the glory of the one that we come to worship, the one we serve. What do you want Jesus to do for you that he has not already done? Isn't he enough? The one who came and poured out his life for you? Have you seen him? Some of us are more blind than Bartimaeus when we lose sight of that. I'm just calling you to open your eyes and look at the one calling you to himself. He loves you. He's full of tender compassion and grace toward you.
He will gently redirect you, sometimes firmly. But in his grace, with good purpose, look to him. And if you're a neighbor and you're coming with questions and hurts, maybe you're even a person who's been hurt in church community, you've experienced a church lording over preferences against you or lording over this or that thing against you, losing sight of Jesus and his compassion. Maybe you've experienced that and you're here with us and you took a risk to come and you just wonder what Jesus is really like. I just encourage you. I just encourage you to see the beauty of the Jesus in this passage. We see all sorts of power abuse in the world. <laughs> everyone in the church, this is the thing you got to know. Everyone in the church and everyone in the world is a sinner. And inevitably, without a lot of help and a lot of accountability and a ton of grace from God, when we get power in our hands, we mess it up. Right? So we're sorry. But we're not surprised at ourselves because we're sinners. And Jesus isn't either. But Jesus is beautiful. The Son of Man came not to be served. The one with all authority in heaven and on earth came to lay it all down so that you could know him and be drawn to himself and be safe with a holy God. We're not safe with him apart from Jesus, folks. But he came to make it safe and to tear that veil so that we could enter into his presence follow him into eternity. So I invite you to know that, neighbor, to know Jesus. And lastly, I just encourage you all, as you receive and know the mercy of God, I encourage you to show it, to show it. Jesus, remember what did he do? He stopped. He stopped. Do you know that in Larimer County, uh, this is 2010 data, so it's a little dated, so uh, forgive me. The next census data will come out, and then we'll, we'll have renewed numbers, but it's probably close-ish. So among your neighbors, you have about six out of 10 of them, 63% identify as other than Christian. And that's just people who mark it on a page. You know that. We're not talking about people that are sold out, committed to following Jesus. We're just talking about the folks who would at least identify on a page. So you have a lot of neighbors who don't really care about the secondary things that we get upset about. They certainly don't care about the, the political workings and the glad handings that can happen. They don't even, I know this is difficult to hear, they don't even really care about the primary things yet. But what if... We were a people drawn to Jesus continually. What if we're a people who, because of that drawnness to Jesus, we're looking at Jesus, Jesus is looking at us, we're being mentored in our words and our ways, and so with Jesus, we stop. And every day, we just go into our house, and we ignore our actual neighbors that Jesus called us to actually love, and we don't actually go across the yard and say hi to them. What if we stopped? What if we stopped? And in our ways, served them, lowered ourselves to love them. What if at our workplaces? What if in our family systems? What if the people that we would rather ignore, we stop? 
And maybe we were even jerks. And maybe they even know that we were jerks. Right? And we say, I'm sorry. Let me have a second try. My name's Dave. And take heart. I know I'm a mess, but Jesus is calling you. He's great. Brothers and sisters, what do you want Jesus to do for you? What if we would rest satisfied in all that he's done? What if we would see him by faith and know that he's all we need? Let's pray. As the worship team and the choir comes up, Father in heaven, uh, we look to you. We're humbled. Each of us, in words and ways, have forgotten you at times. We've forgotten our Lord's path, his love and service and self-giving. But all that love and service and self-giving was for us, so we're encouraged, and we lift our heads again in that grace. Send us out in your grace, Lord. Keep drawing us to yourself. Thank you that you're a never-quitting God of steadfast love that endures to the thousandth generation of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We look to you. Hold on to us, Lord, we pray. Send us in your purpose, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.